This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence also known as Mallory Ortberg, with me this week in the studio is Brittany Riera. She is a federal affairs lobbyist in D.C. for environmental conservation issues. She is also someone I have known deeply and well through the Internet indirectly for a number of years. And today is the first time that we are speaking directly to one another, ear to mouth or vice versa. Um, Brittany, (laughs) hi. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. It's nice to connect with you on a new medium. I am so jazzed about it. So what was our first contact with one another, would you say? So I think that you wrote an article on the toast in its infancy, Mm -hmm. and it was about angels in the form of the Old Testament coming down and doing something dramatic on the earth. And I thought that was great. And I was like, you should do a sequel because it is too short. And I think three days later, there was a sequel on The Toast. That sounds extremely me because uh, I was raised with a lot of Bible and there's just not enough opportunity to write about all of that um, when you grow up into the world. So periodically, I'm just like, look, guys, I remember a lot of weird stuff from Genesis. Someone needs to know this. Angels are gigantic and powerful. Um, I thought about you on my um, lift ride over here because I was listening to Christian um, rock station mm-hmm. that my driver had selected. And oh, I was yeah. like, how do wow. they know I was coming to see Mallory? Bold. It's always a bold move, by the way. When it somebody was. Is like, it was a bold. <laughs> All right, passenger. Hope you like Christian rock. Um, also, it was great because they gave like an intro as to when she went and how she wrote the song that she was about to sing. The driver did like or, the, her, or the radio no, no, no. station? Like okay. the radio station um, was like, we wrote this song when I was pregnant and I was writing a to-do list and I just thought that I should make a to-God list. And I was like, wow. All right. So that's the energy that I bring to the yeah. session. Well, unfortunately, I know very little <laughs> about like modern Christian rock music, but if anyone ever mm. wants to talk about Christian rock music between the years of like, say, 1991 and 2000... I mm-hmm. am your guy. That's your that's yeah. your jam. Yeah, specifically Christian rock. The three years, oldies. 1997, 1998, <laughs> 1999. Wow, which was like the Christian equivalent of the now. That's what I call music albums, and I think Wow oh stood for World of Worship. I didn't know those existed. Oh, they did and do. They still release them every year, I believe. Wow, um, much as the thing. now albums still exist. I'm learning so much already. Yeah, this is a so, great conversation. <laughs> if you have any questions about like Stephen Curtis Chapman's heyday, I'm your guy. All right. We'll get to know. Or if you want to know what to do if, for example, your boss wants to steal your baby. 
which oh, is our I first letter. So much. I I loved it so much. I saw the subject, and I was like, I surely something else is going on here. But no, um, no, her boss kind of wants to steal her baby, and a hundred percent. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I've been doing this job for a couple years now. I've heard it all. I have not heard nope. it all. This woman is working for Rumpelstiltskin. This is um, <laughs> never happened before. Would you Would you be so good as to read our first letter? I certainly will. Um, subject. I think my boss wants to steal my baby. Dear Prudence, I recently got a new supervisor who I haven't interacted with much yet. A few weeks ago, I told my company I was pregnant with my second child. The next time I saw my supervisor, I told him too. He seemed really taken aback and then immediately began telling me about how he and his wife had been struggling for, with infertility for years, going into a fair amount of detail and getting a bit emotional. I didn't really know how to respond as this was my first real conversation with him and it was just way too personal. So I told him I was sorry and basically ran away. A few weeks later, he came over to talk to me about a work matter and then he added in a joking kind of tone that I should give him my baby. I laughed it off, but you know that sense you get when someone is kind of joking, but you and the other person know that it isn't really a joke. I'm sorry. This is so ridiculous. Take your time. <laughs> yes, that is what happened. I assumed that it was a one-time awkward comment, except that since then, he has made his statement a few times. It's always when no one else is really around to hear it, and he always laughs it off. But at this point, it's making me really uncomfortable. I've been debating about reporting it because I'm worried my general manager will just dismiss it as sour grapes since I wasn't chosen for a promotion last spring. I'm also not sure where these comments fall, since they aren't really sexual harassment, and there's still a part of me that thinks he's a nice guy, who just doesn't understand how weird these comments are. At the same time, if he comes knocking on my door, I am definitely not answering, especially as I've now entered my third trimester. So your boss wants uh, to steal your baby. Yeah, your boss wants to steal your baby um, and has said that to you, which is just incredible. Uh, for what it is worth, this could absolutely fall under the category of sexual harassment. I think sometimes people hear the phrase sexual harassment and they think it all has to be sexual as in uh, ref- relating to sexual intercourse. Um, it can also yep. be things um, categorized by sex, such as pregnancy. Um, so yep. this absolutely could fall under the category of sexual harassment. Um, I'm not saying that your first and best option should be to file a lawsuit, but um, just to kind of clear up that misconception, um, this is a pretty gendered conversation. Oh, 100%. um, Yeah, like you don't not have a case. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like no no one's going to be like, oh, I don't know. He's going to actually have to like be grabbing your bassinet for it to really qualify. Like these are wildly inappropriate things yes to say. at the very least it's wildly unprofessional so at the very least that's something and you know what if someone's wildly unprofessional in the workplace you could still tell somebody about it sexual or not that's still okay yeah um don't debate about reporting this because you know what if you say the new supervisor has made repeated comments about wanting my baby and talking about his <laughs> you know, his struggle to conceive with his wife. Like, that's not, you're not interpreting something. You're not coming to them with this kind of vague, open-ended issue between the two of you. You can say, on these three separate occasions, he has said to me that he wants my baby. He's cried to me about his infertility issues, and he's asked for my baby again. I need these comments to stop, and I need you to help me right now. Like, that is actionable. That is specific. That's very clear. Report it. 
unless you work in the most unreasonable office of all time, I don't think anyone's going to say this is because you didn't get the promotion. Yes, I can almost not imagine a scenario in which you not getting a promotion last spring <laughs> would disqualify and hearing something like this from you, your boss would be like, you know what? Are you just upset? In in fairness, because this letter was originally a lot longer, um, it was oh. for the job this supervisor has now. Oh, um, so that's my. why that, she's concerned. That um, is a wrinkle, but I don't not, think it's, it's not a wrinkle, wrinkle it's, specifically for this. No. I think if it was like I don't like the way he borrows my stapler a lot, then maybe you, the general manager, could say that. But the context with which he will be making this complaint is so unique and um clear yes I, d- I don't think that those issues will come into play in this particular situation yeah so report it immediately in the meantime continue to keep your office door closed um you know yep absolutely if he says anything along those lines to you again you get to say please don't ask for my baby again i don't appreciate those comments full stop yep that's it Yep. Tell him to stop. You don't have to. You don't have to couch it in a joke. You, you don't, don't have, have to say, to. "I'm sure you're a nice guy," because fucking, nope. I don't think he's that nice. Also, anytime someone says they're a nice guy, there's a butt coming, right? And whatever comes after the butt is really bad. So yep. just ignore that part. And also, I personally think that whenever someone goes, "Well, X Y Z," but he's a nice guy, it's usually just an indicator that the person is a white man, which is a lot of issues separately <laughs> so uh, sorry i didn't hear know, a lie in that like yeah uh, it, it, it is <laughs> often just... it, it's often an acknowledgement of a power dynamic i think it mm-hmm. is this sort of sense of i am afraid that yeah if i a non-white person a non-male a non-white male whatever um try to say what this person's been doing or saying that's not okay I will be read as biased because I'm not a white man, which is right. the least biased thing a person can be. Um, yep. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's something that like the letter writer is like consciously bringing to the table. That's just that's oh, often no. the case. That's often the case. That's is this sense that what that means, you know, because I'm a woman, because I'm pregnant, because I'm a person of color, because I'm whatever, um, I will be taken less seriously about my complaint. I will be seen as aggrieved and biased. And that is not True. I mean, it is sorry. It often happens, but it's not. You are not making this up. Whether or not he's a nice guy is not is not the question here. The question is, should he be saying things like "Give me your baby" to people who work for him? The answer is no. You probably shouldn't say it at all. Like, don't say it to your neighbor either. Don't say it to anybody. (laughs) No, I I, I mean, I'm I'm sorry that he and his wife are having difficulty conceiving. That's painful and difficult. Um, That's Mm -hmm. not something he needs to be bringing to the work environment. It's certainly not something he needs to bring to someone he supervises. And it's absolutely no no justification for asking somebody else to give them your baby repeatedly more than once. More than one time. And like, he's always doing it when there's no one else around to hear it. That's like, even worse. He's not nice. He's doing that on purpose because he knows that if other people heard him say it, they would ask him to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not nice. No. So report it. Avoid him. If he says it again, say clearly and directly, please don't ask me to give you my baby again. I don't like it. 
And just like let that sentence hang in the air. And he may yes. flail and fumble and say things like, I didn't really mean it. I was making a joke. What? Who? I would never. Like he's going to probably respond in a pretty wacky way. And you just get to say, yep. I don't like it. Please stop. Yep. And then you can also ponder that like, I never thought I would say that sentence. And I said that sentence. And maybe hopefully I'll never have to say it again. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Next. Subject, how much to reveal to interviewers. Dear Prudence, I am currently interviewing for new jobs. I recently had two interviews where the interviewer quizzically said they searched for me on LinkedIn and noticed I didn't have a profile. I didn't realize having one was expected. Nevertheless, I would be fine having one and used to have one, but I had to delete it along with other social media accounts because I had a stalker who once showed him uninvited to my place of work, would mail me letters, and bombard me with online messages on any account of mine he could find. If I blocked him, he'd just create new accounts and resume messaging me. As a result, I shut down various social media accounts, including LinkedIn. Perhaps it won't come up again, and this was just a one-off or two-off, really, but in case it does, how should I address not having a LinkedIn while looking for a job? How much should I tell interviewers about why I don't have an account? So, Brittany, in your line of work, is LinkedIn useful? I'm not sure LinkedIn is ever really useful um, at the sense, at the risk of a offending risk in executives listening. But I do know that some employers use it as kind of a um, validator of sorts of your previous work experience, which is not the best thing to do because you could very easily lie on LinkedIn. Um, so I have mixed thoughts, although I do have one. Right. And yeah, I, I also, in my line of work, which has been ran a website and now has an advice column, which is admittedly an idiosyncratic line. LinkedIn has not been helpful. I don't think I've had a LinkedIn in at least five years. But I, I don't want to discount the possibility that there are industries where it is generally considered um, like normal or or it would be odd for someone not to have one. So certainly, whatever your line of work is, letter writer, um, ask people in your field, like, hey, how weird is it to not have a LinkedIn? And if the answer is generally like, oh, I mean, it's kind of handy, but I wouldn't think anything about it. Um, that's great. And if everyone is saying it's really strange, then you might want to think about either uh, if getting one's not a possibility, having a kind of like talking point for it, um, just like a way to sort of address that briefly. Um, but you'll know that best. But no, I, I, I think it is rare that there is a field where not having one would be a real red flag in the same way that like, I don't know, not having an email address would raise a lot of questions. Right. I think if you're doing something that is social media oriented or something tech related and you have no social media presence that they could find, they may they may consider like maybe she doesn't know how computers work or something like that. So, you know, in that line, maybe just kind of a general social media presence is useful. But, well, I but feel the, like... the letter writer does talk about 
I mean, they had an active stalker. Um, right. And yeah, in which case, I think one of your one-liners, and you could workshop this, could just be, you know, I've received some very strange interactions on LinkedIn. <laughs> or, And I think that maybe is sufficient without going into the details of a stalker, which right. kind of derails your right. and that's, you know, professional conversation that you're trying to have. And that's so hard, right? Because one of the difficult things about something like being stalked is it's generally not considered appropriate to discuss your personal life in your first interview. And right. having to talk about something like having a stalker puts you in this position of, am I revealing more than I want to? Will they think of right. me as being more trouble than it's than I would be worth as a hire? Like that's right. there's just a lot of ongoing sort of ripple effects that being stalked can have, and that's really awful. Um, but yeah, I think be prepared if it's not just the LinkedIn, but the fact that you have no social media footprint. If it is something that is related to your line of work, if they would have a question about that. I like the idea, Brittany, of workshopping with friends, with colleagues, with people who maybe do hiring in that field. What would be like a work appropriate way to address? I worry that saying I've had some strange interactions does not get clear enough that it maybe yeah. suggests you have trouble interacting with others. Um, so I, I would say... Something more along the lines of, you know, uh, a, a while back, I had a very persistent stalker and as a result um, needed to shut down my social media presence. Um, and, and, you know, some some other sentence that makes it clear you're doing well, you're OK, you're not coming to them in a panic, um, but that you have a very good reason. And again, workshop that one. I don't I don't recommend this as a script or anything, but um, I think that like if it if it would raise flags for you not to have any of those social media accounts, you would want to address it or at least be prepared to address it if someone asked you about it. And I think that's the way to the best way to go about doing it. I don't think um, you need to get one. Um, like not that that was your yeah. question, but like I think it's a good choice to to be off that and to continue taking care of yourself. Um, and yeah, you know, certainly don't. Don't say anything like it was an ex or a former, you know, don't give a lot of identifying details about the stalker in question or or talk about they showed up at my place of work or anything that would give off the impression that um, you don't have good boundaries in terms of telling a personal story. But this obviously does right. affect your work life. So just mm -hmm. say something brief that makes it clear that, uh, you know, you were being stalked, you took this action, um, but you're happy to answer any questions about um, your work experience or history or working with yeah, others. Yeah, or your familiarity with social media or the like. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. I'm really sorry. And that is one of the awful things, right, about a really determined stalker is um, people will think like, oh, just block them and it's fine. But someone yeah. who is that persistent will absolutely spend their time creating new accounts, signing up for new email addresses, finding other ways to get a hold of you. Um, and that's really terrible. And it's it's... Yeah. I, I understand why you made the decision that you did. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, job searching sucks a lot. Yeah. So good luck. Okay. This next one, I have a feeling is going to get some great responses. Yep. Coordinated lying. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have three children, two of which are his preteen sons from a previous marriage of whom he has shared custody. My husband is an excellent provider and father. He also drinks and uses marijuana regularly. We are currently on a family vacation. I love that. They're still on it. Today, his 11-year-old son found his vape hidden in a, the hotel room and asked him about it. I wasn't there, and my husband denied it was his, claiming a prior guest must have left it behind. 
His sons know what a vape is from YouTube videos they've seen. And because we live in Colorado, where MJ, I'm assuming that's Mary Jane, is legal. So vapes are everywhere. My husband didn't share this conversation with me. Later on in the day, when my husband wasn't around, my stepson told me he'd found his dad's vape and asked whether it did in fact belong to him. In the past, I've told both my stepsons they could ask me anything about sex or drugs, and I'd always be honest. So I told him that, yes, after pot was legalized, dad bought a vape and sometimes uses marijuana to relax at night. I immediately conveyed the conversation to my husband, and he became incredibly upset at me for not outright denying that it was his or at least demurring. We have never talked about what to do in the situation, but I always feel honesty is the best policy, and this seemed to be a teaching moment about drug use. My husband remains incredibly angry at me because he feels I made him look bad to his son for lying about it and jumped the gun on a mature and difficult conversation. I think it was a conversation that was overdue and I was forced to begin it because he carelessly left the vape where the kid could find it and it's not the first time. How do we explain this to our curious kids and reconcile with each other? My. Yikes. In my notes, I need this question, vapes and lies. So there's that. <laughs> I love you very, very much. Um, yeah, this is really thorny and I don't have children, so I want to always start with that. Um, oh, same. No children. But so. I have definitely gotten unjustifiably angry with somebody else because they didn't lie on my behalf, <laughs> even though I had never asked them to. And in fact, it was perfectly reasonable for them to not think it's time to lie on Mallory's behalf. So I certainly relate <laughs> to the husband in this letter, which does not mean that I think he is right. Uh, I think he is wrong in several ways. Um, but yeah, you... You can't get mad at your wife for not lying for you, man. Like, you brought a vape on vacation and left it out for your kids to see. And you think the problem is that your wife didn't come up with a convincing enough lie on the spot when your kid said, hey, is this dad's vape? Like, oh, yikes. my man, you need to do a much better job, um, like, partitioning off your weed use from your kids. They are little. And, um, like... I understand there's a lot of different attitudes that different people can take towards weed smoking um, and Mm -hmm. that many of them can be good. Um, But I don't think that any of them need to involve being super casual and cavalier with your preteen kids about all the, you know, non-medicinal weed you're smoking all the time. Um, This is recreational. This is not like medicinal getting you through the day stuff. This is you drink a lot and you smoke a lot of weed and um, you need to make sure that you're doing a better job, not letting it interfere with your parenting. Cause right now my guy, it is. Yeah. I think the best non lie, like the best scenario for everyone would could, would have been if she would have said, what did your dad say? But not knowing your relationship or how you guys operate and apparently since you have an honesty policy with the children it is beyond expectation for her to have known to feel out the children to see whether or not lie was necessary yeah well and and that's another thing too right is like it's not great that you guys aren't having more conversations about this like it sounds like your husband's game plan has pretty much just been smoke a lot of weed and make no plans which is yeah. not great. Like, so you guys do need to have conversations about, hey, the kids are getting older. They are hard. They are harder to hide things from. Um, 
what do you want to communicate to them about all the weed that you smoke? Because they're going to pick up some stuff because they're not dumb and they live with you and you smoke a lot. Um, what is your what is your game plan here, man? Um, and he might say, it's none. It's none. I'll tell them I don't know what weed is <laughs> forever. Um, and that's a bad plan. And you guys need to come up with a different not. one. Um, and it's really like... I, you know, you want to be on the same team because you're a couple. I get that. You don't want to, like, rat your husband out. But you also did not realize that he would have expected you to tell, like, a really obvious lie to the kids. Right? Like, that would have insulted. I mean, what your husband did insulted your 11-year-old's intelligence. Like, yeah, it's not mine. Someone else must have left it here is what, like, dumb pot-smoking teens tell their parents. It shouldn't be what <laughs> dumb pot-smoking parents tell their kids. Yeah. So I think regardless, you guys have to have another conversation with the children. Um, get your story straight. You talk to your husband about the parameters of what he's comfortable telling them. But you guys have to have an honest conversation to establish um, credibility again mm-hmm. with the kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You're going to um, have to have a follow up conversation with the kids yeah. together where you are honest about whose vape it was. And your husband's going to yep. have to get on board with that. Like the follow up yep. to this is not hope the kids never bring it up again. Like, oh, no, he needs to realize that the person he should be angry at is himself. And the two of you need to get ready to sit your kids down and have another conversation, which he is not going to want to do. And you guys also need to talk about, like, what's your policy? What is your house policy about, like, drinking and smoking? Like, because if if you want to say things like, hey, when we travel... I don't want you necessarily to bring your vape pen with us, um, depending on where we're going. And or it is your responsibility to make sure just as you would not leave like a half finished can of beer out where the kids could get to it. The same thing with a vape pen. Um, And, you know, let's let's at least throw out the possibility that your husband might not be the most responsible, moderate user of alcohol and drugs on the planet. Um, Yep. I'm not saying he's like. And, you know, absolutely like an addict or an alcoholic, but it does not sound like he has great practices and responsible methods in place right now. Um, So that needs to be something you two can talk about. Like, do you think he smokes and drinks too much? Do you think he does it irresponsibly? Do you think he is lazy and haphazard about like his paraphernalia in a way that is not good for the kids? And if so, have you ever said that to him? Like, ugh, there, you guys should have had. A hundred percent more conversations about this previously. (laughs) And the fact that this is how it's all coming out, uh, I think, kind of shows how much you guys are not on the same page, how much your husband apparently expects other people to ignore or cover up his drinking and drug use. Um, And again, that's not to say that, like, anybody who smokes weed can't parent, like, beautifully. That's not it. But, like, the way this guy is doing it is his, his strategy of never planning anything and just doing what he feels like is not a good one and it needs to stop. Yep. So one conversation with him, one conversation with the kids, with you both. Yeah. Start talking a lot. Your kids are only going to get older because time only moves forward. So your kids are going to have more questions about this and they're going to come up with more assumptions if you don't tell them the truth. Um, So you guys need to figure out, like, how are we going to communicate our expectations to our kids um, based on what they see from us? So, like, if your policy is going to be dad smokes weed a lot when we're on vacation, but we don't want you to smoke weed, you know, how are you going to do that? How are you going to be effective about that? Um, and I, sorry, I don't mean to make it sound like if you smoke weed, obviously your kids are going to start smoking weed at 11. I just mean, like, the way your husband is doing it right now is really not super adult. Um, 
And I'm not yeah. thrilled about that. Yeah. So you get to, when you have that conversation with your husband, say, I see that you're mad. I am not the person to be mad at. The person to be mad at is you. Let's come up with some different plans so that we don't have a lot of episodes like this in the future. Um, and start thinking about, are there some rules that you want to have as a couple, as as parents, that are not just husband drinks and smokes a lot whenever he feels like it, and that's how it is, mm-hmm. and everybody else gets to um, like hide Ignore or it. cover it up or <laughs> not talk about it. I don't like that. That's not a good policy. That's how you get into really bad habits. But yeah, good for you on not covering up for him. Um, keep having these difficult conversations. Don't let this drop. Don't cover up for him. And guy, like, have a thing that you put your vape away in that's not accessible to the kids, like, at the very least. All right. This next, next one. Oh, this one's thorny. Oh, man. Oh, boy, howdy. This one. Yeah. This one. I have opinions. Yeah. Subject. Social justice lingo. Dear Prudence, I work for a large social justice-oriented nonprofit, meaning most of my adult friendships post-college come from this specific circle. I've always loved having built-in friends who share my values and are at a similar place in life. Lately, though, I've noticed a general trend among this circle, a strange type of one-upsmanship around checking privilege. It feels like we're in a constant battle to see who can use the most up-to-date lingo, call someone else out for being classist, ableist, etc., or demonstrate the most nuanced understanding of social phenomenon. It comes from a genuinely good place— I want us to be people who practice empathy and self-awareness. But honestly, it makes our social gatherings feel exhausting. It's hard to constantly navigate this competitive vibe, and I feel like our relaxed, easygoing, margarita-infused banter of the past has been replaced by heavy-handedness and cloaked jabs that I now dread. I feel guilty for feeling this way. Is it worth bringing up? How would I do so without seeming ignorant of my own privilege? So you said you had a lot of opinions about this one. Yes, I do. Um, my general opinion is that your friends seem awful. And I know that's not <laughs> probably the most um, socially worth thing to say. But if you guys are out having margaritas and it's a constant competition, that sounds exhausting to me. And I just read that and it took me maybe half a minute. And I know that's not the real response. The real response is like diversify your friendship circle because I think – with this particular group, if you mentioned any of these things, they would probably come at you as being some kind of ist. It is it is a challenge, I think, because I want to both acknowledge that this is absolutely a dynamic that can and does exist that sounds just dreadful. Um, and also that... It, not to say that, like, the answer is political correctness is ruining the concept of friendship. Like, there are always oh, no. people who will and do turn concepts like it's good to listen to people about their own experience. Um, sometimes even having good intentions, um, we can be wrong about others or say things that are hurtful. And it's good to be able to receive criticism, um, like, with an open mind and to apologize when we mess up. Um, and that, like... It's good to be socially progressive because it makes more people get treated well. Like, those are all general principles that I think are not at fault yet. And it's also very true um, that certain groups of people, certain relationships, certain organizations can get caught up in a race to be the most, um, you know, 
socially aware, the least sort of quote-unquote problematic, where the goal is not increased empathy and compassion. The goal is make sure I catch anybody who fucks up the fastest and let them know about it in a like as quickly and rapidly as possible as if we are all trying to like win at ski ball right right it mm-hmm. seems pedantic and stressful and not like something that goes well with margaritas and you know margaritas are for everybody so <laughs> and i just feel like you you could be a good person and a socially aware person and um, someone who believes in all the things that I th- your social justice nonprofit seems to believe in without taking it off. Well, I don't want to say taking it off hours because you should always have these values like ingrained in your life. But those are not but the same thing as that sort yeah. of social one-upmanship. Like, let's not right. get that conflated. Right. Which exactly. your friends have conflated, right? They have conflated um, kind of this merry-go-round of um, nitpicking for social justice. And those are not the same two things. Um, So one thing that I do think is important to bear in mind is that the letter writer works in this field. So these are not just your friends. These are also presumably your colleagues and possible employers or future employers. So, um, you know, you will want to tread carefully. Uh, in terms of how you discuss a group dynamic. It's also always trickier when an individual attempts to name and critique a group dynamic because the easiest thing for the group to do is to say, you are the problem, get out. Um, Right. (laughs) And, you know, I I, I want you to bear your, uh, you know, living situation in mind. So so another question is certainly to ask, like, are there other... nonprofits that I think might have a better environment? Are there other lines of work that I would be interested in getting into that still like meaningfully align with my values, but that don't seem to be kind of caught up in daily teardowns? That's something to bear in mind. That's kind of a long-term question. Um, And then the other one is, yeah, do I want all of my colleagues to be my closest, dearest friends if this is the dynamic we seem to be getting caught up in? Um, And I I would assume the answer to that is no. So, um, again, because you work with them, it's not as if they are only your friends. There are possible, um, like, employment and financial repercussions to these conversations. I think my advice would be to take a step back from... um, this circle of friends to continue to be friendly, polite, um, to catch up at work, um, but to, you know, invest in your other friendships with people who make you feel generally good about yourself. Um, and, and to let these become more, uh, these are my work friends, not my closest and only friends. Right. And then find like a non-political activity that you enjoy and try to make friendships in that space as someone who lives in Washington, D.C., this is a dynamic I am very familiar with. And so there are some groups of people that I know if I spend time with them, we are going to talk about social justice, no matter how many bottles of wine we go through for hours at a time. And that's great because it has a place in my life, but that is not my only social group. And sometimes when the news is really heavy or I'm not in that place, I don't hang out with them. Sometimes I go to spin class. So, you know, it's... um. You have to find a balance. Right. And let's not mistake, by the way, this like 
one-upsmanship for social and political consciousness. Like, there are people who care deeply about these things, but who are also capable of understanding that you can um, talk about them in, like, generally caring ways um, that does not involve looking around like a sniper for, you know, who just said something over the, and again, like that's not to say that you should be looking for people who like gleefully lob slurs at one another. That's like a false uh, dichotomy. And I don't want to encourage you to think like either you are the person who is sniffing over your margarita saying you shouldn't say that you shouldn't say that. Or, you know, you're out here just like kicking people in the head being like, I can say whatever <laughs> I want. Like those are not the only two options that a person yeah, has. There's, but, yeah. there's a middle ground of people who um, whose actions reflect these um, concepts, yeah, and so they don't need to, and who are not know, always repeat. heavy-handed, um, right? Exactly. I would say step back, especially because these are people you work with. Um, right. I think trying to say to anyone, I've noticed that our group dynamic has gotten um, really full of jabs. It's really heavy-handed. It seems like we're always on the hunt for the next person who has made a mistake. Um, and not to sort of constructively attempt to help somebody correct themselves, but to really like, um, you know, go after them in a way that I don't like. Um, I, I just worry that the response to that for you would be you have lost commitment to the cause um, and you are no longer interested in being a an ethical and, and justice oriented person. You are the problem. We must now come for you. Um, and I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that happening to you at work. So I would say not that you have to totally uh, put up like a smoke screen between yourself and, and these friends. But, um, yeah, pull back. Be available for fewer yeah. happy hours. Um, feel free to not engage. Like if it seems like everybody's really interested in saying like just getting really heavy handed about something, you know, you don't have to participate. Um you can just let that one sail by you. And yeah, look for friendships elsewhere. Look for people who are compassionate, empathetic, um, who are interested in, you know, fighting things like classism and ableism, but are not interested in constantly tearing down their own social circle um, for evidence of fresh, um, you know, insufficient wokeness, um, as I I think the phrase is. Um, Because those are such different things, right? Like you can love your friends and want them to do and be well in the world. And if they say something that you believe is genuine, genuinely ignorant, harmful, racist, sexist, whatever, you can say that lovingly to a friend and acknowledge, I love you, I care for you. I also think this thing that you said or did was wrong, and, and I, I want to encourage you to reconsider it. Um, like, being someone's friend does not mean you always sign off on everything that they do, but neither does it mean reading everything that they do and say with the worst possible intentions um, and, you know, positing yourself as this sort of, like, problem-free, uh, wholly good alternative to them. Yep. Um, Cosign. Yeah. Also, they, they don't um, sound like great friends. They don't sound like nah. kind. And it, yeah. And they're work people. So, you know, just limit create some space. I'm going to go ahead and make a slightly blanket statement that may or may not be accurate. Go for it. Sometimes it seems like if you work in the nonprofit sector, there can be a dynamic where people think this is the only way to support the values that we share. Anybody who works here is like, quote unquote, one of the good ones. We should all make our social and professional lives kind of the same thing. Um, this is the only way to be good. Again, that's 
the huge, I'm, I'm painting with the broadest possible brush. It's broader than my whole body. But um, I, I, that can sometimes happen. And that's just not yep. true. There are good people all over the place. Um, and there are ways to work for a valuable cause, but in a way that mistreats your employees, that demands way too much of people emotionally, um, that does not respect boundaries, that leads to burnout and exhaustion. Um, so, so don't think that just because the company is explicitly about promoting a particular value that you agree with, that that means that everything that company does or that everything that anyone who works there does is also good and right and unimpeachable. Um, sometimes it's also just like, oh, my company is kind of fucked up. We have good intentions and some bad dynamics. Like those things can both be true. Yes. That's all I have to add is yes. <laughs> all right. We've got all right. one more that yep. I had to answer because, you know, if nothing else, my tenure as dear prudence will go down as the bisexual era. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's quite an era. I, mean, I, you I know, have thoughts on this one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Stop being an all asshole right. to bisexuals, guys. And I don't have to run all these letters. I know. We're just going to do it every week until it's grained into the American fabric. Okay. Subject, disclose bisexuality to casual partners. Dear Prudence, I'm a bisexual male who leans heavily towards women in emotional connections, friendships, and overall physical attraction. My question isn't about the gay men who have been telling me for years that I will start sleeping with only men, quote, any day now. It's about female partners who I see with some regularity, but with no talk of exclusivity. In my experience, while there are many women who are genuinely either fine with or celebrate being with a bi male, there are probably more who are very subconsciously icked in some way. I have found this holds true even for very progressive queer identifying folk. For the record, I am hyper careful Boy Scout about safety. This means condoms, even for oral sex, etc. I'm at the point where, after discussing the idea in the abstract, I just don't disclose that side of myself to people I don't think will be receptive. An added wrinkle is that many female partners I end up with have an active interest in being submissive during sex, and I've had two experiences where a highly enthusiastic kink partner turns into someone who continually asks me prodding questions, wondering how I can be dominant, but also into men. While I realize this is sort of a luxury problem and just a small fragment of what women experience in double standards, I also feel like this isn't my personal problem to help people overcome this blind spot. Am I being dishonest in a way I should reconsider? Oh, letter writer. Woof. I'm sorry. I'm just... So many of the women that you have dated and or hooked up with suck. I'd, I think you're doing great. You seem like you're having a lot of fun and you're very safe. So you don't seem like you have any behaviors to fix. Yeah. But. No, you have, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, experienced up close and personal um, just like a, a real shitty, biphobic, homophobic, um, toxic, like masculinity upholding vein in some women. Um, and that's um, bad. I'm sorry, I'm really like yeah. I'm really like coming yeah. out here with the nuances today. I'm just like this is bad. They're bad. No, it is. <laughs> they are bad. I just think it's so weird that they would be like, "Well, you're dominant, so how are you by?" That's, I mean, people are I get amazing. it for all of for all of the isms. But I was like, 
you can think of no scenario in which anyway it's okay. literally like how can you have brown hair and like ham sandwiches it's like right it's like what are the okay no but, correlation so, no correlation you're doing great these women seem like they have um they have feelings about things i'm just sorry you've met so many of them that you feel like it's your job to like fix perceptions of bisexuality because that is not your role right yeah and this is right kind of kind of like that earlier letter where the sort of implicit question was a lot of people are mad at me does this mean i've done something wrong and it's similar like is there something i'm missing is there some way i could be presenting these women with this information where i would not keep getting this response and the answer to that is no you're unfortunately just have encountered a lot of biphobic shitty women um, yep. And I'm really sorry. If anything, I think you should lead with it more. Like, I think you should be screening these women out because, like, what a waste of your time to have to answer dumb questions with someone you've just slept with. Um, like, Ugh. I just I can't imagine, like, just finishing sex with someone and be like, oh, that was fun. And they're like, so I have a question. How is it that you could dominate <laughs> me? And yet also sometimes want to be with a man. It's like, I, I don't know. There's like a pyramid of rules about <laughs> dominating. Um yeah, and I think you should just lead with it. Like, just, like, drop it into conversation early. It doesn't mean you have to, like, show up on first dates, um, like, wearing a hat that says something about, I don't know, a bisexual hat. Whatever the most bisexual hat is. I'm going to go with um, Jughead's hat from Archie. No, 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 no. Oh. The fedora is taken. <laughs> oh, um, although, actually, he, he, had a, he had his asexual storyline on comics, so I feel like... That hat um, belongs to asexuality. So there's some other bisexual hat I'm not thinking of. Maybe it's a floral snapback. At any rate, oh, leaving the perfect. hat aside. Um, We've identified it. I do own a lot of floral snapbacks. <laughs> um, yeah, like just lead with it. Just mention it. Just be like, my ex Mark. Um, I, all I can think of, by the way, now is uh, that episode of, of course, Sex in the City, where Carrie dates a bisexual guy and does exactly the same oh, thing. She like totally she loses does. her mind over it. She's like, what? You dated a guy oh, and man. a girl? I'm too old to understand this. I'm in my 30s. This is the most foreign oh, thing gosh. that I've ever encountered. I have um, been doing a Sex in the City rewatch and it is illuminating because it, they are so great on some things and yeah, just no, uh, not you know, on others. It's it's a fantastic show that is very much of its time and has some terrible assumptions about lots of different things baked right into it. Sorry, letter writer. We're getting this, really far afield <laughs> from your question, but I love talking about Sex in the City. And Same. yeah, no, like lead with it early. Like that guy did a great job on the show. He was just like, oh, well, before you dated this girl like Tanya and then there was Mark, like just throw it out there. Mention it. Like if you're doing any sort of online stuff, especially like you mentioned kink. So it's certainly possible that you are like navigating um, the like dating and hookup scene using apps like lead with it. Just be like, I'm a bisexual guy. If that sounds awesome to you. Great. If it doesn't sound awesome, like, best of luck to you and yours, and please, like, sail on with the rest of your life. Um, also, I'm not your bisexual dictionary or encyclopedia, so I'm, like, I'm not the person to come with all of your bisexual questions, because you also have the internet and, like, books. I mean, that might be a lot to put in a profile. That but, could. That um, might be. That could be, like, a footnote. Well, and you can even just say something like, I'm a bisexual guy. If that's, like, a feature for you, awesome. If that's a bug, yeah. we're probably not going to get yeah. along great. Um, you don't, you don't, because you don't also don't want to necessarily like front load your app with like, here's all the issues I've had with others in the past that I'm bringing to the table now. Um, yeah, like it's a fine line good. to have to walk. But no, these women are the worst. 
And um, this is, you know, sure, it's a probably a luxury problem in the sense that it's not like, how do I fight off all the raccoons trying to steal my food? <laughs> but, like, it's your problem, and it's a legitimate one, and these people are being assholes to you. Um, and I think maybe because you are a guy and they are women, there's that sort of sense of, like, is is are they just being assholes? Am I missing something? No, the answer is they're just being assholes. That's it. That's all. Um, I will go out with you. Good gravy. Like, you sound delightful. We would have a blast. Yeah. We could both wear hats. Um, yeah. Floral hats for everyone. Un- unless you don't want them. Um, thank you for coming on the show and for fixing everybody's life. Yes. Happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. Remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute, tops. So are you a big a big supporter? Are you do I'm you support like a, I don't really have a lot of support one way or the, another for the relationships on the show. Like I think they're all kind of fascinating in different ways. Um mm-hmm. I will say that the character I identify with the most is probably Steve. Ah, oh, Steve. Um, who great. I can do a solid impression of but only him <laughs> saying his own name or Miranda's name. <laughs> Um, oh wait can you say miranda's name uh yeah so in fairness it's not that great but it's like miranda like that <laughs> he's, and he's always like i gotta take my mom out of the bar like he's just he always does. he's always talking like a he chastened does. little teddy bear that's just come to life like it's my I mom know. it's Aww. miranda like yeah i love him very very much when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.